0: Welcome to our continuing 2020 educational webinar series. I'm Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. And we help you manage every aspect of a compliance program and our training library provides hundreds of modules that are easy to assign and track. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Rebecca L. Rakowski, co-founder and managing partner at XPAN Law Group, a boutique law firm focusing exclusively on all aspects of the law that involve the transfer and sharing of data, including cybersecurity, data privacy, and electronic discovery. Rebecca uniquely understands how technology intersects with the legal requirements, obligations, and liabilities related to data transfer. In addition, Rebecca understands cross-border data transfer issues relating to international data privacy regulations in the EU, Asia, South America, and Australia. Rebecca is able to navigate the complexities of different state and federal regulations that affect the transfer, storage, and collection of data. Rebecca serves on the New Jersey State Bar Association's Cyber Task Force. She also served on the Complex Business Litigation Committee that drafted and revised the court rules involving electronic discovery in complex litigation matters. Rebecca is on the Board of Governors for Temple University Health Systems and is an adjunct professor at Drexel's Klein School of Law. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions in the, con- in the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your paycom and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your Paycom certificate will come directly from Paycom and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the side or the upper uh, side of of your screen. So Rebecca, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Catherine. I really appreciate you having me. Um, today, we're going to be talking about vendor management in healthcare um, because it is um, something that is absolutely uh, a, a top of mind issue uh, in the healthcare area, life sciences, anything involved. And because, I mean, let's face facts, it's an area that collects, processes, stores, transfers, shares a lot of data. Um, and it has been one of, well, it is the uh, biggest. A uh, uh, target for hackers, and with um, with everything that has happened as a result of uh, COVID, we see a an enormous uptick in um, attacks against uh, healthcare organizations, pharmaceutical companies, etc. Um, and so, it, it is incredibly important uh, to be uh, paying attention to vendors. Your vendor management program and to really have an effective vendor management program Um, so it's interesting because when we talk about vendor management and we've all heard the horror stories um, but i think that this slide it's it's one that i think is incredibly important because these are some of the top data breaches uh, that have occurred in that occurred in uh healthcare and life sciences in 2019, and obviously we're still collecting a lot of information on 20 in, in 2020. I'm, and I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what has happened uh, recently, but the reason there are three of those are in red is because of those six, half of them are related to vendors. And so when we think about it, that's at least 50 percent. It is exactly 50 percent of the uh, largest breaches, you know, are vendor related. So it's important for organizations of all sizes and in all uh, sectors, you know, manufacturing, um, you know, obviously pharmaceutical, um, you know, the the leisure and and and, and uh, travel industry, but healthcare industry is the one that is the most targeted. So, um, when you consider that the amount of of information you guys collect. And you think that half of you know there there are at least you know three of the six here are are related to uh, vendors. You see why it becomes so important. And in fact, the largest breach, which was the American Medical Collection Agency, was the largest breach uh, of a healthcare organization in 2019. And it was as a result, and and the AMCA was a the vendor that caused the breaches for the covered entity. So. Um, you know the breach was revealed i'm going to talk a little bit about uh, about that breach um and really we all heard about quest diagnostics right because that was you know that was the big headline and these were some these are just a couple of the headlines that came out of the quest diagnostics breach but it the quest diagnostics breach was caused by the amca which was the vendor of quest diagnostics and so that's why i say when we when we're talking about Healthcare care and the health health uh, care industry we're talking about the pharmaceutical and life sciences industry paying attention to what goes on with your vendor is critically important so i'm going to talk a little bit about these breaches um partly because i think it's important for people to understand um, the mechanisms behind these data breaches um because if you don't really understand how this stuff is happening then you know how how can you ever hope to prevent it so um what happened with the amca was that Um, the AMC was a vendor and it had been hacked for about eight months between August 1st of 2018 and March 30th of 2019. What do I mean by I say it was hacked for eight months? It means they were in there for eight months, right? It was an ongoing breach. And what people don't frequently realize is because they think that somehow when, when a hacker gains access to your system, all these bells and alarms go off and red flags and things like that. So that there's you know that you know about it immediately, but if you if you look at the statistics and you look at 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 how long it takes for an organization to realize people are in there, there's there's there are ones where people are in there for like nine years. Hackers are in in the system for nine years. Um, so it's having somebody in the system for eight months is is a pretty average and pretty normal. Um, but it, it's something that everyone needs to realize there are sometimes these things are caught pretty quickly, but sometimes they're not. And they do sit in there for long periods of time. And the longer that they're in there, the, the higher risk you have of, of the privacy of, and the security of that data that you are collecting and storing is being compromised in a significant way. Um and when I say a significant way, that usually means that it's being compromised and, and then requires notification. Um and all of the ones that I'm talking about require notification under HIPAA um and there and all of the state uh, breach reporting obligations that there are, but I'm not here to talk about that. I'm talking about the vendor. So let me focus on that. Um, so when the breach was revealed, there were six major covered. The breach was revealed by the AMCA. There were six covered entities that actually then had to come forward and report that they ha- their information had been compromised as a result of their vendor's breach. Um, and the you know the full impact of this, I think, is still being uncovered. So it's not even, you know, that we know all of the ins and outs of this data breach already. But um, when you look at this, there were millions of people whose information that was compromised. There, And, and of those, there were, aside from just Quest Diagnostics, you had LabCorp, you had Austin Uh, pathology associates. You had Natera, American Esoteric Laboratories. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And why? Is because this is a vendor that a lot of health or covered entities are using. Um, And because a lot of covered entities are using them, it makes it a lot easier for a hacker, right? Let's think about it for a moment. If I am a hacker, I want to go in and I want to get the most bang for my buck, if you will. Um, so how do I do that is I go after the vendors because I don't now, I don't have to go after Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp and um, and Clinical Pathology and Austin Pathology Associates. I can go to one source and get everything. It's like going to Walmart or Target, right? I don't have to go to a clothes store and a place to get my, uh, you know, like hair care products and a place to get, you know, food. I go there and it's one-stop shopping. For hackers, vendors are one-stop shopping um, and that's why vendor management is so critically important when you're dealing with uh, when you're dealing with the healthcare industry okay sorry technical difficulties by the technologist. Um, so, these were just some of the um, notifications that we see, um, and this is pretty standard. You have to notify individuals when uh, that are potentially affected by the data breach. And so, this costs a ridiculous amount of money for organizations, um, and I'm going to go into a little bit of, of how uh, expensive data breaches are and why this is so critically important. Um, so again, just a reminder that, the, that this breach triggered notification requirements, and this is an example of one of those notification requirements. So, another big breach that, was, uh, that we saw was Wolverine Solutions Group, and Wolverine uh, suffered a ransomware attack that occurred in September of 18, the third-party vendor then performed rolling notifications to its impacted healthcare clients, and as a result, some of these these healthcare organizations did not receive notification until March, until as late as March of 2019. Um, so that's really interesting because when you're doing rolling notifications like that to your providers, like healthcare providers that triggers an obligation on behalf of that healthcare organization, on behalf of the covered entity, or on behalf of the business associate related to a covered entity that, you know, impacts their reporting under the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, under HIPAA, under the the breach and security provisions of of that law. It also impacts data breach laws in states. Most states have um, a, a requirement that Data like this, or when there is a breach of this nature that 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 you have to notify those individuals within that state. Um, and most states have what's called an unreasonable delay without unreasonable delay standard. So you would notify the um, the affected individuals without unreasonable delay. Unfortunately, um, there's really no good definition of without unreasonable delay. And as a result of the Equifax breach, a lot of the states, contracted that requirement, and they said 60 days. Um, And so, for example, Delaware is one of them, they contracted the requirement to say 60 days. So this rolling breach notification can be a real issue, because while the covered entity or the healthcare organization themselves did not, there was no unreasonable delay on their part, in theory, because they just notified it, there was on the part of their vendor. Um, And so, what you see here is that um, the cyber attack uh, on Wolverine potentially compromised a wide range of data, which include demographic information, social security numbers, and again, depending on the jurisdiction that you're be- that is being uh, triggered by these this data, um, you know you could have different reporting requirements. And it's worth noting that while most states recognize the HIPAA notification uh, to the affected individuals as being Uh, satisfying the state notification requirements, some states do not, and so it's really important that if your organization suffers a data breach that you have competent counsel that can advise you um, on the specific jurisdictional requirements in each state in which you have data. so what's interesting about the Wolverine uh, uh, breach is that the affected uh, organizations, the affected covered entities were thing- organizations like Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Three Rivers Health, um, Covenant Hospital. And there were a lot of them. And, and it wasn't just those. There's a list of them. I'm not going to I'm not going to go through all of them. But um, again, what's important here is it was one stop shopping for the hacker. They compromised Wolverines through a ransomware attack. And let me just back up really quick and explain. Um, A lot of people hear ransomware and they think they know what it is, but I wanna make sure that everybody does understand what ransomware is. And what ransomware does is it infects a computer system um, and it encrypts the files. And as the virus spreads throughout the system, it encrypts more and more files. Um, a good, I don't want to call it a good ransomware attack, but let's just say a well-planned and um, uh, sophisticated ransomware attack will even sometimes go in and compromise and erase backup data. So when, you know, you're like, ha ha ha, hacker, I have a backup, you go to look at your backup and the backup has been deleted or encrypted itself. Um, And so the the ransomware encrypts the entire, starts to encrypt your entire system. And a lot of times it is, successful in encrypting the entire system and locks you out. It gives you no access to your data. And what happens and the reason it's ransomware is because they ransom you to pay the money to decrypt your system. Um, and while um, a lot of people are like, well, you know, yeah, it stinks you have to pay the ransom demand, but then you get your, system, your stuff back. Well, it's not like it clicks back on. There are still a lot of um, issues with uh, decryption it's not like a lock and a key. I actually liken it more to a rusty lock and a key uh, because it never quite works the same way. And so uh, ransomware is something that is incredibly pervasive. We've seen a huge uptick in it recently um, as a result of um, you know, COVID and, and issues like that. But the other thing to note about um, ransomware is it's usually... Um, you know, some sort of employee error, some sort of phishing attempt that get that. And then the ransomware is deployed throughout the system. Um, and again, a lot of times the ransomware will sit dormant within your system. It's like um, shingles. It sits dormant in your body, right? And then it's activated. And once it's activated, the entire system uh, gets encrypted and you are you are locked out. The other thing that's uh, of note, uh, with with ransomware is recently more and more these ransomware attacks are asking for more money. In the beginning, they asked for a relatively small amount um, because they wanted you to pay it. But now it's like they don't really care and they're they're just interested in the big uh, in the big payday. And so we've seen ransomware ransom requests for millions, a million dollars, a million plus. Um, so whereas once it was um, you know small little bits, it's even more and. While I, I don't think organizations are as concerned with small actors, uh, it was funny because the other day I was speaking with a, co- a colleague of mine and he was pointing out, he said, he goes, I just saw um, uh, an article and they were talking about purchasing ransomware, how-to ransomware kits on the dark web. And he said to me, like, how much do you think that goes for? And I was like, what, like a hundred bucks, I think. And he said, no, no, it's 25 bucks now. And I thought, wow, they've even dropped the price. (laughs) So more people can get into hacking if they want. Um, But you can actually buy kits that will allow you to ransomware your family and friends. Um, And it's just, you know, more and more we see this. It's, It's really scary. But with our vendors, it's really important because, like I said, they're the target. The hackers realize, yeah, I can get into the healthcare system, and they absolutely do. I mean, you saw the, the the list on my previous slide. There were there were organizations there. They were absolutely covered entities or business associates of the covered entity, and they were they got into those systems. However, they're also going after the vendors because they can they have a a larger. Um, there are many more. They can ransomware, not just. Um, the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, but they can go after, you know, Three Rivers Health and North Ottawa Community Health System, and all of the vendors for Wolverine. So they get more bang for their buck. Um, the next breach is Zoll. Um, so the Zoll data breach, Zoll is a medical device um, company. Um, and in March of 2019, there was a breach of their personal and medical data caused by a server migration issue. Now, Zoll, again, then is a vendor to other organizations. Um, and what happened was in uh, on January 24th of 2020, um, they actually found emails archived by their third-party service vendor, which, ex- um, which ex- uh, was exposed during the routine server migration. So there, you're actually seeing more of a direct link. Now, um, there were fewer individuals impacted However, you know, the, the goal is to have no individuals impacted. So when you have almost, you know, 300,000 uh, p- patients' information affected, that's a significant data breach. And that's why it, it's ranked uh, among the top for 2019 and then actually bleeding into 2020. Um, and what was interesting is the vendor became the point of, co- the point of infiltration. Um, and the vendor for ZOL was actually tasked with record retention and maintenance requirements. And so, because they could see that this information, they, they saw that the information was compromised and it was all done through the vendor. Um, and so, again, critically important to realize that vendors are, you know, we we can't live without them. Uh, you know, people say, well, we, we don't just don't use vendors. I'm like, great, just don't use the internet. Um, don't use air conditioning or heat. I mean, it, it, we can't not use vendors anymore. Organizations need the specialized services that vendors provide. The key is to use the right vendor. Um, What you don't want to do is go into a situation where you're using a vendor who does not have the level of sophistication and the level of um, knowledge and I, I would say cyber and privacy maturity that you need in the healthcare field. Uh, that you need in life sciences, that you need in pharmaceutical and and drug trials and things like that. Um, The more, and it doesn't, I'm not saying that you have to buy the most expensive, you have to go with the most expensive vendor either. Um, I think if anything, these data breaches show that vendors of all shapes and sizes are being compromised. And remember, the bigger the vendor is, the more clients they have sometimes, the more attractive that is to a hacker. So um, again, if you, you you know, it's not necessarily how big they are, but it's their level of sophistication and how much emphasis they put on security and privacy. And I'm going to get into that um, as as I go through and and try to give everyone some tips on um, how they can um, start to do uh, vendor management better within their organization. Um, so. People often say to me, Well, why the urgency? Like, why are we talking about this now? We're in the middle of a pandemic, and shouldn't health organizations be more concerned with the pandemic than with privacy and security? And I thought it was interesting that when um, when, uh, the COVID 19 started to really um, snowball. Uh, throughout the world and and in the United States, um, a lot of organizations had to constrict and contract because of the stay-at-home orders and, and things like that. Um, but uh, some companies reached out to me and they said, oh, well, you know, we think we're going to take from our security or privacy budget. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, are you, what are you talking about? No, no, this is not the time to pull back on privacy and security. In fact, this is the time to invest in privacy and security, um, and the reason is quite simple. Um, we are seeing a huge uptick in phishing attacks and 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 ransomware attacks, and just generally, the healthcare industry is under attack, not just from from a horrible virus, but from hackers who want to take advantage of this. And it's not a surprise because we see, um, we're, we're distracted right now. Um, we have a workforce that is spread out because a lot more people are working from home, even in the healthcare industry. Yes, we have frontline workers in the hospitals and, and you know thank goodness for them, but all of the people who do the billing and the maintenance and all the, the, the server maintenance and stuff like that, they're all remote. And so we have a larger attack surface. When you create a larger attack surface, you create a larger surface area for attacks. Um, I, I always love talking to people and and, and teaching in, in the healthcare um, and pharmaceutical life sciences uh, area because people get this um, because it's this exactly the same when you're talking about um, a, a virus and it's it's attack it's it's uh, you know attacks uh, surface and threat vectors and things like that. It's exactly the same. The same way that the viruses work within our body is exactly the same way it works within a computer system. Um, so, it, you know, it was, I always like that because it, it makes my life a lot easier. I don't have to break it down. And when I say things like it's an increased surface area, they get that. Um, but the urgency is really from um, in it, not only that, but the alerts. What we see is both the United States and the United Kingdom issued a joint warning specifically to healthcare organizations about the growing and increased number of phishing attacks and ransomware attacks against the healthcare, uh, life sciences, pharmaceutical industries. And we see more and more. There's even, um, you know, people always say to me, well, is it just like some creepy hacker in a basement that is like trying to do this? Um, And my answer to them is frequently, no, that's not it. Um, But here, because of everything that is going on, Countries are taking advantage of this. So you see um, an increase in um, nation state actors like Russia and China trying to come in and and attack the healthcare system, the pharmaceutical industry. So the urgency, this is absolutely the wrong time. In terms of risk, not only are we at risk for um, a physical viral infection, but we are at a heightened risk for a computer viral infection, um, and they both have to be addressed. They both ha- both have to be prevented, um, and um, you know, vendor management is one of the key areas, and it's something that that can be worked on. It's something that can be developed. Um, and I, I cannot stress enough how important it is within the healthcare, life sciences, pharmaceutical industry to be focused on this right now, because right now is when they're trying to get in. And frankly, probably are already in a lot of systems. And they're, as I said before, they're just lying in wait. They're they're sitting dormant, watching what's going on. Um, I will throw my own brethren under the bus. Uh, a little bit too, just so you don't feel that, that I'm only talking about healthcare. There are other industries, particularly the legal industry. Um, There was a famous um, case out of New York where there was a a, a law firm that did a lot of um, mergers and acquisitions. um, And because they did the M&A work, uh, they had knowledge of, you know, attorney-client privilege information on Uh, companies that were going to be merging and buying and selling and things of that nature hackers infiltrated their system and sat there for six years and watched they watched who was going to be you know merging and who's going to be acquiring who and instead of deploying malware instead they bought and sold stocks based on that information Um, a little something called insider trading so um, you know it's every industry but right now um, if there was ever a time to be concerned about security and privacy within the life sciences, healthcare, pharmaceutical industry, it is it is now. And even the governments of of the United States and the, and the United Kingdom are posting alerts, so to, to 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 create that heightened awareness. Um, and like I said, your organization may have the best. Security and privacy, you're like, oh, it's great. Everything we do is wonderful. You know, we're, we're, you know, impregnable, Um, impregnable, sorry. Uh, But first of all, I would argue with that, that that's never actually true of any organization because there's always vulnerabilities. Um, But it's not just you. And that's what you need to think about. It's really not just you. It is other, it is your vendors and you are only as secure as your weakest vendor link. Um, I wanted to, these are some um, results of a survey for the Poneman Indus, uh, Institute, which is a renowned institute that addresses um, cyber, that, that goes and, and does a lot of research on cybersecurity and data privacy. Um, and this information was is just what they provide generally um, to, uh, that, was, that was just provided to about general uh, organizations. So 56 percent remember I said half of the of the of the uh, healthcare uh, organizations in 2019 that had the top uh, the 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 top data breaches or the largest data breaches three half of them were from vendors well here you see 56% of organizations still following the trend right um, had a data breach that were caused by one of their vendors Um, and the average number of third parties with. act to sensitive information within your organization increased from 378 to 471. And remember, this this survey is two years years old. They do surveys all of the time, and actually they did one in the healthcare industry that I'm going to talk about in a moment for 2019, which is also um, incredibly telling. Um, However, only 35% of companies that had third parties they were sharing um, sensitive uh, information with had a list of all of those third parties. I always find this interesting. I go into organizations all the time and perform risk assessments and uh, privacy and security impact assessments. And without fail, I ask them, who are your vendors? And they have to sit there and, and think. And a lot of them have vendor management software, but they don't know who their vendors are. And their vendor management software, oh, we just started using it. Um, We're not really, you know, it hasn't really been fully deployed. It's not operationalized across the entire organization. And even if it is operationalized, what I find is there are still within departments, a lot of times they'll go off and use little one-off vendors, even in large organizations. Um, I have yet to perform a security and privacy impact assessment where I have not uncovered something that the IT department went, oh my God, I had no idea and that should not be happening um and you know i don't people are like oh the it must hate you no they don't they absolutely don't i work the best with their it department compliance department and their legal department why it yells at the, yells all the time about this stuff and nobody ever listens compliance understands the need to to um, the have the processes and, and procedures around the information, and legal, and, and understands the risk, and legal understands the risks and liabilities. And so it's that the the magic three, if you will, those three departments. And without fail, they are always shocked by what we find because they cannot. They it, it's unbelievable. And and IT, it's not their fault. They cannot be everywhere all the time. No matter many systems you have, no matter how many bells and whistles, artificial intelligence and what have you, you are never going to remove the human element from this unless all of your systems are uh, computers. The minute you introduce a human being into the equation, you have a variable that will inevitably cause and absolutely does cause uh, a risk. And so, and I am not advocating to not use human beings. I'm a big fan. I am one. (laughs) <laughs> but what I'm saying is you have to be cognizant of that um, the other staggering statistic from this 2018 and remember this is two years old now um, was that companies pay three seven point three five million per breach per breach on fines remediation costs and loss of customer that number is something that no organization can swallow easily and so um, it's absolutely something that, that organizations need to be paying attention to. But uh, the other interesting thing uh, is that in 2019, the Poneman Inst- Institute, um, w- in conjunction with another um, organization, did another survey. This time, they, u- they did it of only healthcare organizations or within the healthcare industry itself. And they found that the average number of vendors per organization was 1,320. And you're sitting here going, there's no way we have that many vendors. Well, keep in mind, these can be, I mean, any vendor, right? The guy, the organization that sells you PPE and the person that cuts the lawn. And so there are a lot of vendors that we use and a lot more that you don't even consider. and keep in mind, one of the most well-known vendor breaches uh, in, in the security and privacy industry was Target, right? That breach was caused by their HVAC vendor. So a vendor, you would say, there's no way that that vendor is going to, to be a risk to our the privacy and security of our system and the information that we contain in there. Wrong. You, you need to really uh, perform that analysis because if Target showed us anything, it showed us that the vendor you thought maybe was the least likely to cause the problem actually caused an enormous problem. Okay, so another interesting statistic from Ponemon was that less than 30% of those vendors are annually assessed by the healthcare provider. That means that 30% of those vendors, they don't even look at them during the course of the year. They are just taking it on faith that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. What's interesting, and one of the things I'm going to talk about in a few moments, is that when you think about that, all of the liability that flows, and that's why I say I like IT, I like compliance, and I like the legal department because they understand this, the liability that flows from most privacy and security regulation flows downstream. What do I mean by that? I mean the provider and then all of the people under the provider. What If you're talking about the in, in terms of the European data regulation, the GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, it's the controller and then all of their processors. If you're talking about it in terms of HIPAA, you're talking about covered entities and all their business associates. Um, keeping in mind that the data that healthcare organizations collect is not always just healthcare data. Right. It's not always just PHI. And if it's not PHI, you may be triggering other privacy and security laws. And so it's important to really understand and get your head around the data you're collecting, how you're storing it and segmenting it within your within your industry to see if you're if you're uh, you know triggering one of these laws. But. of those vendors are not ever assessed by the provider, and that is problematic because the the liability will flow to the vendor, and some cannot be avoided even contractually. Um, The other thing that I thought was somewhat troubling was that 60% of the healthcare organizations that were surveyed believed that the executives would bypass the assessment process and push through a desirable vendor contract, even if uh it is determined that that vendor is uh, a risky quote-unquote risky vendor um so the compliance and the vendor management don't have faith that the executives are going to abide by what is already in place and the other thing is that healthcare organizations spend 24 billion each year on vendor management and yet based on what i just said to you the 60 percent the 30 percent they're not doing it very well so you're spending all of this money, but you're not doing it very well. And so that's a real issue and a real gap in the security and privacy programs within a healthcare and uh, life sciences pharmaceutical uh, company, and it's something that can be addressed. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is just a little bit of a, of a flow so that we all understand who we're talking about. So. I put your clients in there, your patients, your clients, your whoever, however, however you characterize the data subject. Okay, the person whose information you're collecting, right? Then it flows to your business because the the client provides the info or the patient provides the information to your the healthcare provider to the business. The business then provides, has vendors, they can store the data, like um, Wolverine case where it was a, it was a, they were, they were storing or archived data. Um, You could be um, sharing it with them. They could be business associates of yours. Um, It can even be the government. Now, in a lot of cases, that's a side issue because vendor, they're not technically a vendor. You're probably reporting pursuant to an obligation, but you need to know where the data is going you need to understand the data flows. If you don't understand the data flows, that's where you really run into a problem because you are going to run afoul of the regulations. Why do I talk about, um, you know, vendor management and and legal departments within these organizations and things like that? It's because HIPAA, I hate to play favorites with with my my laws and regulations but HIPAA is my personal that's the one that I work with the most and so it's it's my special little it's my favorite child um, however HIPAA is not the only game in town and I listed here but I wanted to make sure that there are other things and other that, that, that you're aware that there are other laws out there that can and do impact data uh, the data that you're collecting um, so for example, New York, New York Department of Financial Services. Last year, the New York Department of Financial Services, uh, financial regulators began uh, requiring financial firms with a presence in New York to ensure that their security protection programs were up to par. Part of that was proactive cyber requirements. You have to have a cyber program. And part of that cyber program is the um, vendors. Every single one of these Regulations involve vendors. Now, the NYDFS does not necessarily apply to healthcare organizations, but I will tell you this you absolutely have requirements under New York Shield, which is another regulation out of New York. I didn't include it in the slide, but you have to be able to, um, part of New York Shield, part of NYDFS are risk assessments how can you possibly assess your risks if you don't have a full understanding of what your vendors are doing? If on average you're using 1300 vendors and you don't understand how they process data, you're not following up with them, you're not doing, it's no wonder they're spending $24 billion a year. You've got a lot of vendors, you have to be doing this for almost all of them. Um, But every single one of these laws requires some sort of vendor management. And so it is critical that you have a program in place. HIPAA, under the security and privacy rule, a covered entity is required to enter into contracts, the business associate agreements that we all you know, hear all the time. Um, and with respect to the covered entity that provides the transmission of PHI to the business associate, it requires that, that the contract is in place and that the vendors um, assess the PHI um, so that they understand what they're collecting, how they're collecting it, and so they can they can basically affirmatively state in the business associate agreement that they are going to protect the data, that they are going to treat the data um, consistent with the HIPAA, uh, HIPAA and High Tech Act and the privacy and security obligations that go around from that. Just one moment. I'm going to have to take a sip of water because I talk a lot. Um, the next one is the general data protection regulation or gdpr um it actually creates affirmative duties on behalf of organizations um, to the data controller another the entity that would be like the covered entity in this case right um that they appropriately vet their vendors any vendor that they bring into a data transaction um article 28.1 the controller shall use only processors providing sufficient guarantees to implement appropriate technical and organizational measures to comply with GDPR. It says it right in the law. Um, It actually creates a responsibility on the processors to only use sub processors that comply with GDPR, and that's under Article 28.4. under GDPR, and this applies a lot, not necessarily to, to um, direct healthcare providers domestically, although in some instances it may, um, but it definitely applies in the pharmaceutical industry um, because there is a lot of data that is transferred between the U.S. and the EU. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the European Court of Justice just struck down the uh, EU-U.S. privacy shield. And said that is no longer a valid uh, transfer mechanism. So, um, because it did not provide the GDPR protections around the data, Uh, we actually work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies that do this this um, cross-border data transfer, and this was a big big deal. Luckily, they did not strike down the standard contractual clause provision under the GDPR, um, and the SCCs you can use those as a data transfer mechanism, and there are other. Provisions within the GDPR. There are other articles that allow uh, inter, uh international data transfer, but just so that you're aware. And keep in mind the reason that liability always plays a part here is because under each of these laws that I am talking about are regulatory fines that can be enormous. Um, the GDPR can be 4% of your gross revenue or 20 million euro, whichever is higher. Now we haven't really seen Uh, The regulators out of Europe imposing fines of that substantially, although there have been some substantial fines: Facebook, Google, um, Marriott, um, American Air, uh, British Airways. But um, but for the most part, they still issue the fines. They're just not as massive as they could be, which you know, good and bad. There, right? The CCPA is an interesting one and one that is always um, a consideration in the healthcare industry because the CCPA specifically exempts covered entities that, co- that have privacy and security around protected health information, PHI. Now, what's interesting is that the way the statute is written and the way the regulations are written, it does not appear that the CCPA will, uh, that that exemption applies to non-PHI, which is why I said earlier, it's important for you to keep in mind that it's not just the PHI, that you are collecting data that would be considered personal data under these statutes, And as a result of that, you have to have certain protections, you have to have certain compliance around around that data, which means your vendors have to have it. So you may have a vendor that doesn't deal with your PHI. Great, you don't need a business associate agreement, but you do need a contract or a data processing agreement under the CCPA to make sure that the data that is being transferred is done in a way that is compliant with CCPA, that the vendor is compliant with CCPA, um, and that um, and that they are, um, that the the appropriate contracts and the language is in place between them. Um, but it, it, these are all the liabilities that can flow. And that's the critical thing to keep in mind here. Every single time you you take on a vendor, you you inherit, you inherit, inherent risk. That was a little bit of a tongue tie. Um, they're risky. Vendors are risky, but you can't, since you can't operate with, you, you know, like the old adage, can't live with them, can't live without them. It's the same thing, right? It, it actually applies to to vendors quite uh, aptly. And so make sure that when you're using these vendors, you're doing it appropriately and that you are following up. So um, one of the other issues, one of the things that I want to really drive home here are some things that you can start to do um, because it's great. I scared the bejesus out of you, and then I'm like, have a good day. No, um, when you're spending 27 billion, where, where the healthcare industry is is spending $27 billion on vendor management, and they are still having these problems. the The problem is not that they shouldn't do vendor management. The problem is what they're doing doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is frequently, there's no consequences to what's going on. There is ad hoc application of it, uh, there is not buy-in from from the C-suite or the uh, or the upper echelon um, of the of the organization, um, and frankly, I think a lot of it is they rely very heavily on technology. Technology is fantastic, love technology. However, it's not a a, a, a universal. You know, you can't be inoculated from from uh, vendor management problems using a single pill okay it doesn't work you actually have to have a process in place and have the follow up with the process so what do i mean by that it means that you have to have parameters guidelines and procedures in place policies sops that deal directly with vendors how it would happen? now you can use some technology in that right technology can identify using um, using algorithms and ai it can identify um, uh, vendors that are up for renewal or some sort of triggering event, so that you know you can send out a vendor questionnaire. But I love organizations, Well, we send out vendor questionnaires. Okay, what do you do with them? Well, we review them. And what happens after that? We file them. And what happens after that? Nothing. That is a problem. You can't. It's not a. This isn't a box to check. This is a preventative measure that you have to take in order to protect your organization. Um, doing good vendor management is like having a good vaccine, right? It inoculates you against a lot of problems. Um, looking at the information security, the physical security, the security administration and information security programs within your vendor organizations—all critical. And consequences. And I capitalize this because people forget this. Like, well, we don't want to change vendors, and we don't. Wanna, that's great. If your vendor isn't doing what it's supposed to do, you're being lazy by not changing vendors. Or you put, you, you know, you throw the hammer down a little bit. Hey, you want our business? Guess what? You've got to do this stuff. Um, and it's not just for me, because if you don't, you have the corresponding contractual language in there that says, you're going to indemnify me. And that's really, really important. Um, I, and I I know I'm saying to be careful of vendors, and now I'm going to advocate that you use a vendor, but. I actually think using a third party vendor is really helpful in this regard. And that is step two in the process. Use a third party. Why do I say this? Because a third party provides accountability that you're not going to get internally. Third party doesn't have to worry about whether or not they're going to have, they're going to get fired or hired, you know, that they don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry that they're identifying a department that, you know, you, you have an affiliation with or you have to report up to or anything like that. They don't care. Third parties come in with a detached, independent view to assess vendors. They go in and provide a report on risks and liabilities. And the reason I say this is because I do this all the time. My law firm does vendor risk assessments for organizations, for large organizations. We assess their vendors. They give us 10 in a year. Go take a look at these. These are the ones we're the most concerned about. Okay. And then I do my own little digging. And then I report back to the to the to the um to the organization and to the C suite. And I say, these are your risks and liabilities. You're gonna keep using this vendor. Um and you know. The other great thing in here is you're not transferring more information then. Um, the the information is um, is collected independently. so you're actually reducing the amount of of information you're collecting on your third- party vendor. The other thing is and and something is really hard with vendor management is it puts an enormous internal strain on resources. time, money, things of that nature. Using a third party vendor, that can streamline the process, that can do it efficiently, can re- alleviate that strain and allow the organization to make the organizational decisions, allow them to make the management decisions. They don't have to get bogged down in the quagmire of the process, they just have to take a look at what's done. The other thing is, and I think it's really important, is these things also provide um, uh, um, a shelter, it, it, because you're providing a risk uh, a risks and liability analysis, you actually, the C-suite will pay more attention because it's a third party providing the information. And they don't want to be the ones that say, well, we didn't listen to, you know, in my case, the lawyers, we didn't listen to the law firm we hired to do this. Instead, we decided, you know, because of this relationship, well, they're not going to have that shelter anymore. So that 60 percent of organizations that say, well, we're worried they're not going to do this, or like they're, they're, because of a, of, of you know, they have a friend. In the, that doesn't matter when you have an independent report come in. Um, the 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 shelter of that no longer exists, um, and so it it actually allows the vendor management program to become more efficient and effective, and we've seen that time and time again. And the last thing I will see t- tell you is step three, which are vendor agreements. You're gonna have data security and privacy requirements, risk allocation, um, what the vendor, third-party vendor relationships, who they're using um, can be identified. Um, You can have termination provisions, auditing requirements. Um, It can put affirmative obligations on the vendor to be compliant with the appropriate remedies if they are not compliant. The other thing is, you can require things like you know making sure that they're secure their cybersecurity and data privacy insurance is in place i mean there's a lot of stuff you can put in an agreements and again i know i write them um and they can become incredibly effective and be used as tools because once the other side agrees to it they have a real hard time backing out of it okay you don't want you don't if you're going to your vendor and saying well you really need to be compliant with the ccpa and they're like no we don't we don't have to be compliant um and you know, if it says that they have to be compliant in the contract, it gives you a firm leg to stand on. The other thing is, and I will tell you this, identifying who and where these vendors sit within the data transaction is really important because some of these vendors, you have to have, you know, uh, data processing agreements uh, in place with and business associate agreements in place with, and some of them you don't, and understanding how that works. Um, And if you are the vendor, making sure that you're not accepting liability that you shouldn't have because of the way the data flow is working. Um, we see that a lot with GDPR, where they want you to sign a DPA acknowledging or a, an, a standard contractual clause acknowledging that you're a processor and you're like, wait a minute, I'm not actually processing this data. And this is really an onward transfer of data. And I shouldn't have to sign and take on these liabilities. That's why it's really critical that you use somebody who knows what they're talking about in this area, because there are so many nuances and I can't tell you how many times I see people get it wrong. And, um, you know, I, I've negotiated contracts with European law firms and I'm like, this this is wrong. We're not a controller. If anything, we're a sub-processor or we're an onward transfer, we're do, just doing an onward transfer. And we go back and forth, back and forth. And eventually they're like, yeah, you know what, you're right. And yeah, I am right. And they're always surprised because I'm an American um, because, you know, GDPR is obviously European regulation, but it's true, really understanding how these things work making sure that you have appropriate guidance in these areas is critical. Um, And I I like this because it really shows the intersection of all of these areas where technology and the law and supplier risk mitigation intersect, right? You have um, your technological controls, your threat matrix, the network vulnerabilities, understanding that from a technological perspective, then from the legal perspective, what are your contractual and regulatory obligations? How can I transfer risk contractually, and where I can't transfer it contractually, how do I mitigate it using insurance, or using my regulatory and uh, my regulatory compliance mitigating the risk? I just worked with a client the other day. Um, we're looking at their insurance provision, um, and we have we had to say, well do we want to go with this other insurance company because the coverage was a little bit better? Well, but they were already compliant with the law. And so we had to balance whether or not we were comfortable enough with our regulatory compliance that we were willing to say, you know what, we're okay. We don't need to uh, uh, take on additional um, obligations or financial obligations of of increased insurance because we already know what we're doing here from a a, um, uh, compliance standpoint. Um, And the other thing I I would tell you is in every supplier, third-party vendor situation, you have to balance the technological requirements with the legal liabilities. That's why I say compliance, law and technology always in the same room together because it's those three pieces of the puzzle are really what's critical here. Um, And just a couple of things, um, key takeaways that I think I want everyone to be aware of, uh, you know, before they leave here today, is one is you absolutely need to create a supplier management program that is effective. You have, if you are not creating one that is effective and is used, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. You're going to be one of those that, that, that suffers a data breach. And I can't promise that a good supplier management program will alleviate that risk entirely. And matter of fact, I will tell you it won't. But what I can tell you is it reduces it. And in the data privacy and security world, we're never talking about risk elimination. We're talking about risk mitigation. Mitigating your risk to the lowest point possible um, is the goal. And so you're never going to be 100% secure unless you're completely offline and you don't collect any personal data. Good luck with that in the healthcare industry. Um, It is impossible. So risk mitigation and creating that supplier management program, that vendor management program, you can call it whatever you want. you know, potato, potato, it all is is the same there. Um, Establishing the standard supplier agreements or provisions so that almost all of your contracts are the same. I think that's really important because you want as few variations within those contracts as possible, but where you do have variations, you have to track the variations, so you make sure you understand where where your liabilities and risks lie. You want to document the pro po- the process again. Not a surprise in, in in the medical field. If it's not documented, it didn't happen. It's the same in privacy and security. If you're not documenting it, it didn't happen, um, and that means I can't prove compliance, and I can't I can't mitigate my risks, and I am going to be facing lawsuits and liabilities. Um, you know, and and that's not where you want to be. And the last one is doing all of this will make you better prepared for enforcement actions if somebody comes in and says what are you doing for supplier and vendor management you know you're going to say well we have this program in place and this is how we have operationalized it across the organization and this is how we use it and you have all of that information is right at your fingertips um and when you're dealing with privacy and security issues and data transfer issues having that information at your fingertips is absolutely critical so um That is all from the slide perspective, Um, but uh, if there are any questions, I am happy to answer
0: them. Thank you so much, Rebecca. That was a very, very informative and um, uh, wonderful presentation. So, I do have a few questions here. Uh, The first one is, are the issues facing the healthcare industry more acute than perhaps other uh, industries that you've encountered?
1: I would say that, um, yes. And I think for the reasons that I articulated before the fact that there are threat notif- notices coming out from the governments, um, that always makes it a little scarier, right? When, you're, when your government's telling you to watch out. Um, but uh, it is consistently and almost, and I believe this, I'd have to go back and look to make sure this is, a, I'm, I'm like 99.9% sure this is right. I The healthcare industry is the number one industry that has suffered data breaches for every year that we have tracked this. For every year we track data breaches, healthcare is always number one. They are always the biggest target. So looking, and and like I said before, vendors are, they're the one-stop shop for hackers. I can hack one vendor and get to hundreds, potentially thousands even, of other organizations. So yes, I would say that um, because of the number of vendors they use, the type of data they collect, the 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 attractiveness to hackers, and now with these alerts that are getting posted, I say this this need for the healthcare industry is more acute than any other industry uh, that the, is facing. Now that's not to say other industries don't need to be aware and they should not be focused on this because it is it is a huge issue for them as well, but um, but yeah, just because of the nature of the data and the frequency of the attacks.
0: Okay, right. Um, here's another question how do the regulations fit into the issue of vendor management and then what can organizations do to address them?
1: So, um, so that's a great question. Um, one of the ways it fits into, um, the, uh, the, uh, regulatory scheme is that they, uh, the every single regulation requires vendor management and every regulation requires downstream uh, vendor um, analysis so uh really important that that uh that we're paying attention to um that we're paying attention to vendors in this area and we're paying attention to the regulations because it's it's that intersection that's the issue um and one of the things that i will say that organizations can do is performing risk assessments incorporating their vendors and um, that's one of the the things that they can start to do you know soon um, uh, perform the risk assessment for themselves to see where that information is being triggered and the other thing is data mapping people hate when i tell them this because it's a huge undertaking for any organization but you need to know where that data is and how it's being stored and shared and if you don't know that then you're not going to have a full picture and so creating those data maps is really important um, it will help you to comply with the laws
0: okay and then um, if vendors are such a big threat why use a vendor to do due diligence in the first right place? so
1: yeah i mean I, I i touched on this a little bit but I, it's a great point um and something that you know we we hear a lot um, i think the I think I answered the question um, as to why to use the third-party vendor. It reduces risk, it it, it reduces the strain internally, it creates accountability, Um, but I will say this, it is really important to use the right vendor, to use the right um, law firm or tech vendor that you're going to engage, and I say this because you want to make sure that they are giving, first of all, they're giving you what you're paying for. Um, I see assessments from um, vendors all the time. And I'm like, this is like two pages. This doesn't give me any information. You want to make sure that you're getting what you're paying for, that you're really getting the, that they're drilling down into the issues. They're drilling down into the data. They're drilling down into the data flows. Um, And then uh, being able to provide you with, um, you know, uh, accountability. They, They allow, a vendor allows you to, uh, have that uh, level of accountability that is just simply not present when you do it internally. Um, it's easy to dismiss the IT department because no, poor people, they, nobody ever pays attention to them. Um, it's easy to dismiss them. They're like, oh, they're they're crying wolf again, um, but they're not. And so when they have, uh, when you use a good vendor who knows what they're talking about and can advise you in the multifaceted areas. So advise you on the law, advise you on the technology, advise you on the compliance issues. Um, It it really creates a much more effective and you're not throwing good money after bad. You don't want to be spending, you know, all that money and getting nothing in return um and frankly these things can be done in a way that can be streamlined and can be cost effective i think it's just a matter of of um having the will to do that and i think that's one thing that always does get the attention of a c-suite is say uh we're going to do this but we're not going to we're actually going to save money and this is we're going to become better and we're going to save money and that's just a matter of picking the right picking the right vendor
0: true true um so I think we're coming up on time. Do you have any other uh, any other words of advice for us or any, any thoughts you wanted to leave with us today?
1: Um, if anything, I would say don't wait. Um, it's really important that you start now. Um, you probably should have started a while ago, but if you feel that you don't have the appropriate program in place or you feel like it's not helping, it's not doing anything, it's there, but it's literally just there. You're not actually, it's not as effective as it can be. Um, you need to make a change and you
0: need to make a change soon. Okay, great. Great. Um, well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for being with us today. Really appreciate that. And, uh, for your words of wisdom, um, that you were able to share with us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. And thank you attendees for being with us today as well. Please use the contact information on the screen for any questions. And if you think of any later, you can send us questions. We'll forward them on to Rebecca at XPAN. And please remember your Paycom and PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com, or call us at eight, 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 5434778 and thank you for joining us